Hello, I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson. And we are your hosts of The The Premise, Premise. where we get to the story behind the storyteller. And this season four, that's right, we're in season four. We've got some amazing storytellers lined up, and we really appreciate you listening. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Let's roll. Autobots, roll out. Hello, and welcome to The Premise. I'm here with Chad. Hello, Chad. Hello. How are you today? Uh, you know, I'm all right. You're hanging in there? Yeah. It's been, been an easy, easy Monday. So. Nice. I love easy Mondays. We don't normally do recordings on Mondays, I realized. But uh, here we are. We're, we're like... We're doing this. We're going in. <laughs> and folks, we have a very special guest today. Keisha Lynn Elliott is a multi-hyphenated artist, entrepreneur, and author of Childish Stories from the Life of a Young Black Girl. The sequel, Black Woman Grown, is due out in June. Isn't that right, Keisha Lynn? Yeah, that's correct. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Keisha Lynn's passions are community building, healing, and personal growth. We're going to talk a lot about those topics today. She is also the VP of Operations and Evaluation for the Monarch School Project in San Diego, just here in downtown San Diego. She's a TEDx San Diego speaker in the education category. Her TED Talk, Unhoused Students Are Stronger Than You Think shares how she pioneered the first longitudinal research study on the social-emotional learning of school-aged youth experiencing homelessness. And wow, that is going to be a really, really powerful talk. I'm going to be there. I have tickets to TEDx San Diego. And just so our listeners know, you can still get tickets to watch virtually. I highly recommend it. This year is just slated with amazing speakers. Go to TEDxSanDiego.com. But right now, we're going to jump in with Keisha Lynn. So welcome to The Premise. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm very happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you here. I got to watch your, I don't know if it's like a practice, or but I got to watch a video of you delivering an initial talk. I don't know if that was like a... Uh, audition? It was our audition videos, yeah. We, okay. Uh, so the, the one you get into TEDx... San Diego is you submit a uh, you submit a, a five minute audition video, and uh, that's what I <laughs> that's what I got the invitation to to uh, record and submit nice. on the day of the deadline. <laughs> oh, you did it on the day. <laughs> yeah, I wow. found out about the call for submissions on the day of, and I said, "Oh boy, I have something to say. Let me see if I can go ahead and throw this in there." And so I recorded my audition video and sent it off. And I did, I think I was one of uh, 300 oh my gosh. submissions wow. to TEDx, TEDx San Diego for 2023. So, of course, I felt very fortunate to be one of about 30 of us uh, that were called back for the auditions. And, of course, um, beyond the moon to be one of 14 amazing speakers that will make it to the TEDx San Diego Red Circle in June. That is phenomenal. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't know who watched those videos. It's good to know that you did, though. Well, I'll be clear. I didn't get to see the 300. I got to see the the callbacks to ah. for the 14 speakers because, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing you and talking about your story. And so that's a really good place to start. Yeah. And yeah, wow. In one day. Sue, so did you always know you wanted to be on the TEDx stage? 
Well, I have always um, I have always been a speaker. I I am a woman of words. Words are my superpower. Mm, uh, that's pre- awesome. Predominantly, <laughs> predominantly the written word is where I feel most uh, comfortable. However, um, speaking just comes natural to me. And when I first started my journey as uh, you know my journey in personal development and growth, which included becoming an author. It, speaker went hand in hand with the two. I have a story to tell, whether it's on the page or the stage, as I like to say. So uh, having been on that that path for about a decade now, I don't think there's a, a, a public speaker that alive hmm. that hasn't heard about TED um, and doesn't aspire at some point to um, be able to make their way into the red circle. You know, TEDx is about ideas worth sharing. And so uh, it was not just, you know, be a good speaker and go and give a good talk, but to develop a good idea. Yeah. Um, and so when I when the, the, the two opportunities come together, you know, you always hear kind of sarcastically, you hear people say, you know, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. However, I'm really excited that I actually am going to have a, um, I'm going to have a TED Talk. And it does feel like as a speaker, a bucket list item to check off, you know, not only the talk, but the idea behind it and, you know, my face, the name, live with it. It seems like forever, thanks to the Internet. Um, <laughs> it seems like I'm, I'm really, you know, going to make a splash with you, what I've got to say and share. You are. I know that. I know it's true. Well, let's talk about that splash because your message is really, really important. You know, this idea. Um, well, let's start with this. Tell us. Tell our listeners about your work at the Monarch School and how your school is different. Absolutely. Um, Well, uh, the Monarch School, and specifically the organization I work for, the Monarch School Project, is a special place here downtown San Diego. Um, If you live in San Diego, we're in the Barrio Logan community, so kind of like um, in a place where um, the unhoused population and a lot of the resources and services to support that population are concentrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a partnership between a nonprofit organization, the Monarch School Project, and the public entity, the San Diego County Office of Education. So Monarch is a public school. We're not a private school. Um, we're not a public charter school. We are a, a, um, a public nonprofit partnership that serves students who are experiencing homelessness from kindergarten through grade 12. However, we also support our alumni population for a number of years after. I call it more of a K-16 or even K-20 program. Wow. Um, So uh, what that means is that we have a federal, uh, we have a special exemption under the federal law to allow us to um, exclude our enrollment to students who are experiencing homelessness uh, as a public school, which has an obligation to serve all students. The students that enroll here are experiencing homelessness as defined by the McKinney-Vento Act. And the McKinney-Vento Act defines homelessness on a spectrum that can include the kind of homelessness that we probably think about and see as we drive around um, our local neighborhoods, but also includes students who are experiencing homelessness but are sheltered, um, maybe doubled or tripled up with another family, or sheltered in temporary housing that um, is not necessarily adequate. Mm. So um, uh, as long as a family can show that they meet those um, qualifications to enroll here, and we have a spot to serve them, they can come to Monarch and receive a um, fully accredited, WASC accredited uh, curriculum 
the San Diego County Office of Education provides our teachers and our uh, our curriculum. And uh, because of the partnership with the nonprofit, the Monarch Schools Project, we provide a number of wraparound services to support students and families, including a strong emphasis on social emotional learning. So our programs that are designed to help students to develop um, social awareness skills, to regulate their emotions, considering that they're experiencing the complex trauma of homelessness, and also to um, nurture their resilience so that they can cultivate critical life skills that will not only help them address the circumstances under which they currently live, but also to aspire to have healthy and viable lives as families into the future. So it's pretty unique to come to a school that offers all of that, but um, we serve a very special population um, who certainly needs that. And um, my message is um, looking at the impact of how the way we serve uh, that population is having an impact that I think is pretty extraordinary. Absolutely. So the Monarch Project is not just in San Diego. Is it a nationwide nonprofit? Well, we are one school, one site located here in uh, downtown San Diego and Barrio Logan, like I mentioned. We are the only school uh, in the nation that has that special waiver, um, if you will, to operate as a public school that excludes its population to unhoused youth. Uh, What we are in the process of doing as an organization, though, is scaling our practices scaling our practices so that we can ensure that the things that we have seen and show to work with this population here at Monarch can impact the population, you know, (laughs) at the size of the actual problem. The reality is that every school, every public school in the nation um, has unhoused students enrolled in it. Mm. And so the answer can't necessarily be that there should be a Monarch in every neighborhood, But what we believe and what we're working towards is ensuring that our practices, the practices that we've been able to cultivate in this unique environment here can be shared and uh, proliferated throughout all public schools because all public schools are serving this population, albeit not exclusively the way we are doing here at Monarch. Sure. Well, let's be honest. I mean, it's it's not only unhoused children who need resilience and have maybe emotional trauma that they're dealing with and things that can make it hard to pay attention in school, get them in trouble, get them sent to the principal's office. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how we deal with that makes a big difference. And I think how you're doing it specifically at Monarch is a beautiful thing. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, I think that that is exactly right. Like when we see what can affect positive change in this population, it really invites us to think about um, a better approach for all youth. You know, almost like yeah. um, I the, the the title of my TED talk is unhoused students are stronger than you think. And um, I don't intend to assume that everyone thinks that unhoused students are weak. Um, that's not my my <laughs> that's not my idea um, at all. I do. I am trying to push back against the sense of when we think about unhoused youth, when we think about the uh, population of humans experiencing homelessness, there tends to be an emphasis and a focus on what they're lacking. Mm. And I am looking to shine a light on what is present. So even if you think, oh, unhoused youth are probably very strong, yes, (laughs) they're even stronger (laughs) than you think. And if you think, oh, unhoused youth, poor things, I go, 
and they're stronger than you think. Um, and that is just even that's stronger, just right? A, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm e- able to show and now tell by the nature of the research that I have done. And so what we what um, what we did, Monarch School Project did in collaboration with the University of San Diego's Jacobs Institute for Innovation and Education is we decided to form a research partnership that would allow us to conduct a study on our student population at Monarch. We study grades three all the way through grades 12 and really look at the social emotional learning of these students over a period of time. And there's a lot of different ways to to measure social emotional learning. And so we use those tools and kind of put it together. Um, But what there isn't a lot of opportunity to do is to capture this kind of information from this population over a long period of time. So that's what we endeavored to do. And initially, I would say we were looking for growth. We wanted to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, measure the self-esteem, the sense of belonging, um, the grit and perseverance of these students in the fall. Then we're going to come back and measure it again in about six months in the spring. And we're going to look for the growth. Um, so there was a kind of a presumption that they, it might be low, but we're going to look at the growth. And specifically growth in their emotional growth or academic Gro- growth? Yeah, growth in their growth in these these different social emotional factors. So okay. I mentioned a yeah. couple of them, like their self-esteem. Okay. How does gotcha. that grow? Gotcha. How does their ability to regulate their emotions grow? How does their ability to persevere through obstacles grow? Um, what we found was that uh, there was there was certainly growth, certainly growth to speak of. Um, by the first year of the study, and certainly after the second year of the study, we realized that their capacity for these skills is already quite high. Uh, we're not seeing a ton of growth necessarily because it's already extraordinarily high. Like that is the story. What we're able to do in an environment like what we create for students and families at Monarch is to sustain already high levels of social emotional capacity and grow those levels beyond what currently exists. And if that is possible in this population and all of the challenges that they face, how does it change the story of what it means for unhoused youth to be successful in school? The challenge is that we look at academics predominantly to define success. Right. And I am just inviting uh, the system to look at everything else that happens um, when a student walks onto a campus every day, because all of those things are what we are teaching. All of those things are ways in which they're growing. And I think they deserve credit for it. (laughs) I really do. Yeah. I feel like every youth is in trouble. We have a lot of pressure currently in the media, right? And I think they have more access to the media, so they might be contributing to it, but we've got environmental issues, political upset, parents are upset, but also COVID, you know, has affected children in a way that, you know, there's more suicide attempts, kids are having a hard time coping. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I I agree with you, Jennifer, um, and I, I shouldn't say that I'm excited, but I do feel kind of humbled and proud uh, of the position in which I sit as a researcher uh, standing at the crossroads of this challenge, the challenges of homelessness and poverty and the economy kind of overlaid with the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, I think uh, the exciting thing is uh, what we're what we will be able to do and what the story that we will be able to tell. The reality of the timing is that we conducted the SDL, the first SDL growth study here at Monarch on unhoused youth population between 2016 and 2019. So our first approach to the, our first batch of data from the study took us to the doorstep of COVID-19. And then COVID-19, of course, came It shut down schools. It shut down the world. It shut down far too many lives. And now here we are three years later at the kind of precipice of a a restarting. But we realize that we've all been through what we've been through and we're changed. So I'm really proud that this year we have reinstituted our SCL growth study here at the Monarch School Project because it allows us an opportunity to say, what we saw from 2016-19 was a good kind of pre-assessment of what the social-emotional learning of this population was before COVID. And now we have a responsibility to look back and see what the impact has been since COVID. Indeed. And there's only one place that that, that can happen, and it's right here at the Monarch School Project. So um, this year, in fact, we have just con- concluded conducting our first post-COVID SEL study and we'll be able to get a glimpse, but we're gonna continue tracking the data for the next three years. So we have that same kind of longitudinal outlook on what the impact was and what can we learn from that? And what are the implications for our practices for educating all youth? Because we're all experienced that. And uh, it'll be nice to have some really good data and information to tell us what it really meant for these kids. You're kind of a badass, Keisha Lynn. <laughs> I am. I'm curious, like during COVID, everything shut down. Did the Monarch School shut down as well? I guess you had to, right? Yeah, well, there is. So this is a benefit of being a public nonprofit partnership Um, on the, of course, at the, on the day I call it, you know, Friday the 13th, (laughs) March, March, Friday, March 13, 2020. That was the day schools closed here in California. And um, our partners with the San Diego County Office of Education were obviously no exception. All schools were were closed and students were sent home Um, and took about two weeks for uh, the world and the the system to figure out how to pivot in order to be able to restore or resume some form of academic learning for students. However, Monarch is a a partnership, so the nonprofit the Monarch School Project for our students and families, we pivoted very quickly to be able to figure out, okay, we need to continue to be able to give our students and families access to the resources that they get here at Monarch as a part of their school day. So that's mental, um, that's mental health and therapeutic support. That's also access to basic needs such as clothing and food and hygiene, yeah, um, it's access yeah. to financial resources. So on the on on whatever you were on Friday, March 13th, if you worked for our organization, you showed up the next day with a new job. (laughs) Your job was now a case manager. All of our families were assigned across our team to a case manager who would be able to reach out, stay connected with them to help meet their basic needs. Um, You were we were also we we became uh, resource distributors. So we set up operations to distribute food cards, um, gas cards fresh meals to go, hygiene kits, just whatever our families were going to need to be able to sustain 
themselves through what turned out to be a longer than anticipated duration right. of school closure. Yeah. And then finally, we are all educators. We are we have a real responsibility to continue providing social emotional learning. And that meant that we had to not only get our families connected to the internet and connected to ways to participate and engage with, with each other virtually, but we also had to innovate distance social emotional learning. So all those art programs and athletics programs and, and internship programs, figuring out how to make those uh, available and accessible to our students and families online. Um, that, that, that pretty much came, became our work overnight. Uh, we built that system and were able to sustain it for about a 20 month period before schools began to like, um, began to reopen. How many students do you have? At Monarch, we start, we have the capacity to serve about 300 students against K-12. And we're enrolled at or about that um, on any typical day. But we are a small school. We are a small school here, especially when you consider the size of the problem here in San Diego County alone. Well, actually, that was going to be my next question. Give us an idea of how many unhoused kids are in San Diego County. Um, so it really does depend on who's counting. I read an article last week that that uh, that roughly counted uh, the school aged youth, um, unhoused youth in San Diego County at about 16,000. Um, there are different ways to count. Um, 16,000. 16,000 wow. school aged. That's just, you know, students That's that nuts. would be in K through 12. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it, it's really uh, it's, it's surprisingly hard. <laughs> surprisingly hard number to count, um, but uh, one is too many. And certainly, you know, looking at the 300 seats that we have available here at the Monarch School, it really does compel me to to uh, you have a sense of urgency about getting our message about what we're doing here um, that's different mm-hmm. and that works out there because there's just far too many students that need to be served than can ever walk through our doors. Wow. Okay. So I want to re- I want to clarify. You're not kind of a badass. Like you straight up are a badass. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and we are. So we, I, I am. I'm very, very supported by an amazing, amazing team of really dedicated people here um, at the Monarch School Project, but also partners working together um, with the the County Office of Education. It is. I mean, it takes a village of villages Indeed, um, yeah. to do what we do for the students that we serve. And we're not just ser- serving the students, as I've, I've, as I've just described, and you can already imagine, we're really deeply involved with the families as well. Yeah. Well, I want to tell our listeners that, you know, you're clearly very passionate about this, but this was you at one point. I mean, you graduated from high school as an unhoused youth. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean that's I call I call my my journey to the red circle a little bit of full circle. Um, <laughs> Boy, ain't that the truth? When yeah, you know, when I, I started working at the Monarch School Project ten years ago, mm. and I remember you know I was out doing my thing as a coach and a, I was a certified life coach, and I was running my personal development company, and I I came and I found out about this amazing place. And uh, <laughs> when they asked me, hey, will you come and be, will you come and work here? I thought, you know, oh, I'm really trying to, you know, do my thing as an entrepreneur. Mm. And I just, you know, there was an opportunity to come and teach the high school students life skills. And I just thought, I've got to do it because 
that was me. I've been there. You know? Yeah. I, know, I, I felt like at the time I knew these kids, I knew what they were dealing with. I knew what they could do. Yeah. So it right. was my job to come in here and help them see that. Uh, I said, great. It wasn't something that I could say, I could say no to. Uh, I will say that um, my experience uh, with being unhoused uh, as a youth was a lot more, it was temporary, you know, there are, as I already mentioned, the McKinney-Vento Act and how it defines homelessness. It's on a spectrum. It is very easy. It's easier than you think to, to experience homelessness. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people who really sit down and look at the McKinney-Vento Act might realize that they've been homeless several times <laughs> um, in their life. Uh, coming to Monarch, I realized that the biggest thing that I could take away from my own experience being an unhoused youth and serving and showing up for the students that we work with at Monarch is to understand that they are actually the experts in their own lives. Mm. They know exactly what they want. You need to let them tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, you kind of come in and you go that I was, you know, I was, I was homeless when I was a teenager. So I know you can do it. And it's just like, you know, tell me what you can do. How can I help you do it? That was a very different conversation for me mm -hmm. um, to have with them. And um, it worked. Man, <laughs> nice. man, the students really began to dream out loud and really began to talk about themselves. And I kind of said, you know what? You guys are, you, you're, you're all rock stars in your own right. Even I came from, you know, even I came having walked in these shoes looking at uh, my first class of students, like, I'm going to help you all be awesome. Mm. And what they showed me right away is what I knew. You're already awesome. Yeah. I'm going to help you realize that and use that until you achieve your goal. And uh, that was my path. You know, when my mom and I lost our housing my senior year, uh, I had just finished submitting all of my college applications. I hadn't figured out yet what college I was going to go to or how I was going to pay for it. But suddenly being, becoming unhoused and living in the circumstances, there was just no question, no doubt in my mind mm. that I was going to take that next step. It felt life or death to me yeah. in a lot of ways. Sure. And I'm just so grateful <laughs> that, you know, the answer was life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Leaving Amen. that unhoused situation to go to college to become safely and stably housed again um, is an eye opener, mm -hmm. leaving my mother behind in that situation um, as a first generation college student yeah. was an eye opener. Um, and I am I'm really, you know, I'm really proud to say that I made it. But um, I made it because of something that was inherent with, within me. Yeah. that allowed me to access all of the resources and all the support and all of the mentorship I needed to navigate. But there was just something in me. It wasn't the, the sadness of my situation. There was something in me that said, do it anyway. And I know that that is something that exists in the heart of every unhoused youth that's sitting in our nation's schools today. Um, they may not see it. They may not see it. It's our job to show them that part of themselves. Yeah. Um, that's what makes a difference in their lives. Not to do it for them. Right. But did, to show them that they can do it. They can do it. Did, did you have an adult in your life who 
shined that light for you who helped you see it or was that just something that was just all you? Oh gosh, no, I could never claim to take all of the credit. <laughs> I, I have so, so many, but um, one, uh, one or two individuals in particular whom I could give uh, many titles uh, at this point in time, but I think the most important to apply is the title of mentor. And I think it is really important. Um, it's even a part, an important part of our strategy here at Monarch how uh, how relationships really play a key in the sustenance or even the growth of some of these skills. Yeah. But I had mentors. I pursued and had access to mentor relationships through high school programs. Um, and uh, the, the actual people, the adults who step up and took on those responsibilities, understanding that at times they were going to need to be a mother to me, a father to me, a companion, a guidance counselor. They were going to need to be an advocate, a tutor. Uh, I thank God that there were people, adults specifically, especially during my senior year in high school, such a critical year. So many things are trying to figure out that you do not know the answer to. And you can't really think about when you're worried about, you know, getting through the night, trying to sleep. Um, those adults had my back. Nice. And at the time, you don't think about having, you know, what is mentorship really? But it is a very crucial and a very impactful social emotional learning program and intervention and intervention. One we use at Monarch every day, but one that absolutely saved my life, you know, 22 years ago when I was a high school senior navigating not only the unhoused condition, but also the path to college. What did you study in college? I studied English with a writing minor. Go mm. figure. <laughs> it's always been the words. It's always been the words for me. Uh, I intended to major in psychology. Um, but as it turns out, uh, being a first generation college student coming from the background that I came from, uh, when I got to school, it was a little, it was jarring for me culturally to say the least. And uh, when it came to learning and academics, I figured I started out as a psych major, but after my first semester, I said, I probably should stick with something I already know and not make this harder for myself. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so I abandoned psychology without a single psych class ever taken, and I changed my major to English. Now, I also have to say that I attended Spelman College, and Spelman College is a, a historically Black college for women uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I would say department to department, no shade to the psychology department, but this, the, uh, the literary geniuses that would come to Spelman <laughs> and the events and the activities and the, the program that was available in the English department at Spelman was just a tad bit more exciting than what was available <laughs> in the psychology department as well. And I mean, look at the amazing footsteps that we had to follow in and uh, Alice Walker, so it's just, yeah, there was not nice. really a competition when it came down to majors, but it was also a path of least resistance because I said, at the end of the day, I know how to read and I know how to write. So let's just stick with that and try to survive this college experience the best we can. <laughs> that's, that's most kids, right? Absolutely. When did you know you wanted to tell your story when you wanted to write that book, your first book, Childish? Um, and let I, me be clear, it's Childish. Ish. It's child-ish, yes. <laughs> so it's an emphasis on the ish because I had the theme of the book and the theme of my childhood 
is a childhood that is not very childlike. Yeah. Um, and I probably outline the stories of that book and the book that follows it um, that's coming out next 15 years ago. Um, and wow, okay. I got advice from a mentor when I was in high school. Please, I told her, I want to I wanna be an author. I've always wanted to be an author. I wrote my first book, a, a book of fiction when I was about 12 years old. So I knew I was going to be an author. But I said, I want to write an autobiography or a memoir. And one of my mentors said, oh, my God, please don't. Please, oh. don't write, please don't write a memoir until you have memories. Please don't write a life story until you've lived a life. Hmm. You know, so she's telling a 17 year old, you know, don't do that. So I said, OK, I'll kind of listen. Instead of writing my whole autobiography or memoir, I would just like to tell these stories. Right. I'll just tell, tell the stories. So I've carried these stories on my heart, you know, for, for, for all of my, you know, all of my adulthood up until this point. It wasn't until it all came together when I said, well, what is my dream? And my dream was to become a published author. And that meant the intersection of like, what am I good at? And I'm good at um, personal development and growth. I'm good at motivation and inspiration and transformation. Let's put the two things together and tell some of these stories. I'll bet it will be really fun is what I thought. What I didn't expect is for it to be so healing. Wow. Yeah. So healing. For you, you know? and your for readers. Me, yeah, I said, I, well, it's always a selfish act for me to publish my writing because I'm always trying to heal myself first. I'm always trying to develop myself first. But then when the book was out and people reading the stories and telling me about the healing that was happening for them, I was really hooked there. I had no idea to expect that my awkward experiences, which stem from, you know, uh, exploring my sexuality, stem from, you know, difficult experiences from being the child of a child, you know, raised by a single teenage mom, um, experiences with being in foster care, experiences with being bullied, yeah. low self-esteem, yeah. and, you know, ultimately, all of the impact of growing up too soon is that you get into situations that you're not ready for. Yeah. And you learn, you know, you learn the hard way, um, if you will, how to grow up. Um, those stories need to be told and uh, that healing needs to happen in me and also in the readers who have reached out to me and said, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to see myself as a black woman, as a mm. queer woman, mm. as a woman from poverty, yeah. you know, formerly unhoused, uh, as a Christian, you know, so many, so many different things and so many intersectional pains that are being healed just because I was willing to write my stories down yeah. and put them out. Absolutely. Stories matter. And memoir is so powerful for that reason. It's, it's just fascinating to me how we haven't figured that out completely as a society. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you tell your story and other people hear you and say, oh my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. I'm not alone. There's others like me. There's something so important about that. that there's you're, you're going to make it through this. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with you. Absolutely. It's not and your I mean, fault, right? It is so, you know, the world has, it, it, uh, we've opened up in so many ways, you know, mm -hmm. the, there's so many Long ways, ways to, to go though. <laughs> out there. Yeah. But you, but can, we're getting you there. can do it. You yeah. can do it. I mean, people are, you know, picking up self-publishing. Mm -hmm. People are not waiting for permission. People are not apologizing anymore. There's even funding out there, you know, now. So, you know, with, 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 the, with the challenges, there always comes, you know, opportunity. I always tell 
uh, my students, you know, every obstacle is a stepping stone. And I look at even what COVID has done um, and, you know, forced the world kind of online. But we discovered that there's really no obstacles to getting our story out there. You know, you can write a book. You can give a talk. You can be on a podcast. You can start a podcast. You should start a podcast. Amen. Totally, right? Yeah. So as as many many ways that it seems that the challenges mount against us, I think the opportunities continue to unfold before us. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited about this generation. That's right. That, that, you know, the ones that are upstairs in our classrooms right now here at Monarch, you know, when they grow up, no one's going to be able to tell them that they don't matter. Yeah. Plus, you I know? think when you come from a place where you've had it hard, you just fight that much harder to get what you want, right? You've been there. It's been tough on you. Mm-hmm. So no doesn't matter. Hardship doesn't matter. You're going to accomplish what you need to accomplish. That's that yeah. resilience, right? That is, that is exactly what resilience is. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we're not teaching that. It already exists. <laughs> we are nurturing it. Yeah, yeah. It's already exists and it's high. And yet we're still growing because that is how strong we are. That is how strong the human spirit is. That is how, that's how strong we get tested by fire like this. And we all have it inside of us. We're all experiencing trauma. Um, and in some form or fashion, we all have our own stories to heal from, even those who would be, you know, uh, perceived to be privileged. We all have something, uh, we all have something to learn from uh, how to properly deploy resilience. But mm. it starts with the presumption that it's there yeah. because it is. Well said. I don't know if you know this, Keisha Lynn, but the premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival. Is it? And oh, did that did uh, did that just end? Oh, we, it was in October. Okay. Yeah, we've you know COVID kind of messed up our schedule. We went yeah. online, we went virtual, and moved moved months. But we're going back to April, which is our original intended month for the San Diego Writers Festival. So it's happening in April, twenty twenty four. Oh yay! But the whole point of the the Writers Festival is to share stories, to encourage people to write their stories, that their stories matter, mm-hmm. and you need to be there. You're st- I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> I love these connections, you know, and Marnie Friedman's my co-founder at the San Diego Writers Festival. And the whole reason we've, we even started this crazy journey is we, we want people to know how important their story is, but how important their story is for others, because it does help us grow and learn about ourselves and healing. There's so much healing and empathy that is built through hearing someone else's story, but also because we wanted to build community in San Diego, because there's so many different organizations around writing and there's Mm -hmm. different groups and associations. We wanted them all to come together. It's always free. It's always open to the public and it's, it's inclusive. We want everyone to come and tell their story and figure out how to tell their story. So I thought it was a good Good little plug for the festival, I, you right You know there. what? I am there. I, I can't even. Uh, I am available, and I'm there. <laughs> nice. And we actually have a, a kids writing program that I don't know if anyone at Mom, Monarch. I mean, I'm I'm positive our our group has knows about Monarch, and it, but we need to talk about that. Getting those kids in our writing contest because it's a scholarship program for encouraging kids to write and tell their stories, and it's K through twelve. Um, yeah. 
Oh yeah, let's absolutely uh, connect online about uh, offline about that because it's a perfect connection to the work that we right. do and student totally. engagement at Monarch in the Arts. Yeah, and this whole uh, this whole idea of creative youth development and expressive art therapy just combining to we're doing some amazing things and we are doing it through partnerships yeah exactly <laughs> through amazing partnerships and I... so that's one of my favorite things i aspire to uh, help many monarch students become uh, um, authors nice um that's like my personal my personal mission uh well to, to, I, I aspire to make many people become um, authors in general but especially these young people. Yeah. And uh, it's easier than you think to make mm. a book happen. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think what I, too. what I love most about you is that you're excited about the future. And that's important. Kids need to hear that, you know, the the positive, the potential, you know, the, the future is a beautiful thing. We have no idea what's going to happen, but we have to know that anything is possible. Yeah. I have an idea, if you're open to it. Would you be willing to read the opening of your book? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. All right, let's do it. Okay. Um, all right, so I'm going to read the prologue, Child of a Child, from my book, Childish, Stories from the Life of a Young Brat Girl. I once saw my own creation in a dream. I was walking alongside God, who was a light. I walked with this light into a large room with rows of people in it, paired in twos. Together, God and I strolled through the room, examining each couple. God and I both stopped before an attractive couple. The woman's face had the shine of youth to it. Her eyes were the color of chewy caramel candies. The man's skin bore the patina of scars from minor car crashes, but his mocha smile was bordered with charming dimples. They appeared to be an unlikely match for each other in age and personality. Yet for some reason, God and I agreed that they were perfect for me. Hmm. So God as light reached out and touched the woman on her heart. I was transported from God's side into her womb, carrying a beam of God's light with me. It turned out that the shine of youth in my mother's face came from her being a child herself when she became pregnant with me at the tender age of 17. Mm. She had her own twisted tales of growing up too soon. She had dreams. She had talents she was just discovering, as we all do at that age. A kid would ruin everything. Motherhood wasn't in the plan for her. My father, while a bona fide adult at age 25, was hardly more mature, was hardly mature enough to help raise a child. He had a good paying job, a motorcycle, and multiple girlfriends. He compelled my mother to empty her womb. Fatherhood wasn't in the plan for him. But God's light stayed with me, growing stronger and brighter within my mother until it reached her heart again, just in the nick of time. Hmm. She didn't have the abortion. I was born on September 6, 1980 with my mother's dazzling eyes, with my father's flirtatious smile, and with my own resilient spirit. This began my journey as Keisha Moore, the child of a child, and a man who didn't want a child. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> wow, that is a strong opening. <laughs> it brings tears to my eyes. Thank yeah. you. 
Thank you. And so now that this Childish was released five years ago, and you are getting ready to, to release book two of That's right. your story, Black Woman. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect from this next book. So if Childish, well, since Childish is the book of a child uh, who, who grew up too soon, um, Black Woman Grown aims to tell the rest, or it's not, I want to say the rest of the stories, some more stories about how does that child become the grown woman that presents in the world today mm. as Keisha Lynn. Um, and so if you've read Childish, Childish starts just like I read in the story at conception or before <laughs> conception, <laughs> right, right, my right. own awareness of conception. That is, by the way, a true story that my mom will say tracks with her understanding of my conception story. <laughs> uh, but that is that is my very first memory is having this dream. Mm. So it takes you from that all the way to the doorstep of college. Nice. Um, and childish. And then we kind of hang out there mm. <laughs> for five years while I write the next batch of stories, which is Black Woman Grown. So Black Woman Grown will share more stories uh, as I navigate the, the transition through college and into early adulthood. And the themes there are very similar, a young black, a very young and, and very awkward black girl that's grappling with questions around sexuality and spirituality, grappling with the sense of belonging, still really suffering from challenging relationships, specifically my relationship with um, my mother, and ultimately, you know, making decisions and taking control and exercising agency as an adult about who I'm going to be and how I'm going to be in the world. Hmm. Um, so I'm really excited to get this. Like I said, I've been sitting on these stories for almost two decades. <laughs> I have a joke that I like to let things marinate for 10 to 15 years before <laughs> I write them down and out. Um, and so we've got a pretty good chunk of well marinated um, stories that are no more. Um, again, it is a collection of stories. It's not about answering every question or providing every detail, but it's about dropping you into these moments so that you can see how did this black woman become this grown? Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations. It's going to be out in June, you say? Yes, it'll be out in June. Um, it'll be in my hands in a couple of weeks. I'm really excited to reach that stage. But uh, all, the most important stage is to get it into the hands of you and your readers. And that for that, I can say it's coming. I'm also really excited that I will be uh, doing an audiobook narrating the audiobook recording for Black Woman Grown. I, ha I did narrate the audio book version of Childish, and that is available on Audible. Nice. So uh, there's this is a completely different experience. Speaking of speaking, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, hard, a, it's, huh? a, it's a completely different experience to write your story, publish it in a book, and then like read your story. Uh, but you know what? You can uh, just access so many different people yeah. with your, you know, having an audiobook out there. And I, I didn't realize audiobooks were so popular. Mm -hmm. And so uh, mine came out and I started the sales of the audiobook started outpacing the the paperback. Nice. <laughs> yeah, said, that's okay. awesome. All right, people like audio. So uh there will be an audiobook to go with Black Woman Grown as well. But the paperback version will be released in June, just in time for TEDx San Diego. Very cool. Which by the way, listeners, is June eleventh. And again, it's going to be I don't know if it's again, I don't even know if I said this, it's at the Conrad Prebis in La Jolla, and you can get tickets for the virtual 
well, not the virtual, the online event, because they've sold out for the theater. But I really encourage you to get tickets to see that live event. It's going to be a pretty spectacular day. Um, I want to pivot, if we can, Keisha Lynn. I want to talk about Black.life. So you have an organization called Black Leadership and Abundance Center. This launched in 2020, if I, I believe. That's correct. Talk to us about how you serve and support Black communities and its allies. So the Black Leadership and Abundance Center, or Black as we call it, um, is a uh, isn't is a is a the birth of a partnership, a healing partnership between myself and um, um, uh, one of my longest term friends out in Texas. Her name is Kamisha Reese, mm. and I'll tell you I'll tell you exactly where it came from. Um, you know, in in May of 2020. Uh, the police murdered George Floyd in the street on video. Mm. And we all watched it. Yeah. And then um, those who um, wanted to stand for what's right went out, risked their lives to protest. Amen. And yeah. uh, at the time, you know, you were, we were risking our lives because, you know, we couldn't breathe because of COVID. And it felt like Black people in particular, those Black Lives Matter protests, we were risking our lives facing police police brutality mm -hmm. while we were protesting police mm -hmm. brutality it became really really difficult um to cope and to deal yeah. and i realized uh, i think we were all realizing that um we need a place we need a safe place to heal so um the place that i went to was um in trying to create safety for my community yeah um through restorative practices <laughs> bringing people together and just having norms of safety and connection. Nice. But also to understand that healing is happening on the inside. Mm. You know, we have, we are energetic beings and we have access to the same, you know, energy and light and love and healing that um, we don't really feel present in. Yeah. So I really leaned into at the time therapy I am a Reiki master healer, so I, I I I leaned into Reiki, and my business partner she was leaning into yoga, and I said, what would it look like for us to take what we're learning in restorative practices and what is how it's possible to bring people back together, bring us together at least to be safe, and to come together and also heal from the inside out. You know, we're kind of invisible in nice. these practices. Yeah. But what would it look like to become a place that um, created that and shared that with others? So the Black Leadership and Abundance Center was created to serve and support the Black community and its allies. And what we're basically trying to do is take everything that we know about healing, whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing, and do it for us, do it with us, and have it done by us for there to be representation Wonderful. and safety. Yeah, because there was just a moment where it just wasn't safe outside for anyone, but it was really unsafe outside for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the year, the, the three years that we've been in business, we've done so much amazing work. We've virtually trained organizations um, and, um, and institutions, colleges and universities on restorative practices. We have gone and helped kind of facilitate conflict resolution and healing within organizations for uh, you know that that deal with people who would not necessarily um, be uh, have strong representation, marginalized marginalized population, um, and we've also been able to share personal um, and personal and spiritual healing through our Reiki 
in our yoga practices, both online and offline. Nice. Um, and that is the that is the beauty of black. Uh, <laughs> we see it as being a starting point when you are looking for healing through community work, <laughs> through restoration, or when you're looking through personal healing, but you want to be guided through that by a person that understands your intersectionality as a black person, as an, a member of the LGBTQ population, as a non-rich, whichever, whatever box you check or don't check, black is here uh, for you. Very cool. Um, wow. And that just, it was, a, it was absolutely critical in 2020 when it just felt like, mm -hmm. Where can we go to heal from this pain? Mm -hmm. There yeah. was nowhere for us to go. So we became the healers. Good for and you. And we built the place. I was right. You are a badass. Thank you. Well, we are <laughs> badasses together here. That, that one thing I love is that this is a partnership and it's a very, you know, a like-minded partnership. Mm. And um, that is so important because I do tend to do a little too much. I was going to say you you like to overdo it, don't you? You like to just fill um, fill your time with all yeah. the things. But if I could put it all under one umbrella, Jennifer, it really would all fall under this one. Nice. It would fall under the black umbrella because it is all healing, the mm -hmm. storytelling, the work, the even the data, the research, the belief that I have really does come from our belief, which is that the version of you that heals the most is the version that will experience the most abundance. Mm, at a that. time where it just felt like abundance was a a, a failed concept yeah. in that summer of 2020. It was lacking that in was every way. Yeah. That was the time that we decided to dig in nice. and create something that is true and real. And so how can people get in, involved with Black? So getting involved with Black is as simple as visiting our website. Um, that is how you can talk with us and we can talk about what our mission is. Like I said, we're we're here to create that safe space, but also to spread healing. Yeah. We have an amazing service commission I call Balance and Flow, where uh, we provide uh, invite people in to do energetic healing work that is designed to like balance and, and align your chakras from inter internally, but also kind of help with movement and motion and a healing plan so that you can stay in alignment. That's a really important part, you know, that inner work that we all need to do needs to connect with the outer work that we're all killing ourselves to do in our businesses and our jobs. Um, and we just find that it all kind of holistically works together. Yeah. We want to stay connected. And we also do want to kind of spread the message that Black people have chakras too. <laughs> we do yoga. We do Reiki. Yeah, yeah. You know, we circle up. And a lot of these practices are actually, you know, part of our ancestral heritage. Mm. So we're trying to address feeling um, erased. Mm -hmm. um, from some of this, from some of these practices. Um, so here to point people here, did you know, did you know there's a black Reiki master teacher in San Diego County? You well, do if know. you've never met one, <laughs> you know, do you know that there is a black yogi uh, constructor in McKinney, Texas? Now you, you do. do. You do now. <laughs> and do you know that we are experts in restorative practices and community building both online and offline? Like you, you do now. That's, I that's what it. we're that's what we're here for. Awesome. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Keisha Lynn, I thank you so much for all that you do. Just for your incredible, positive, beautiful, excited attitude. It's very inspiring. And it's so necessary. We need more, more teachers like you, more healers like you. And so thank you for joining us today. 
Thank shining you. your light I'm just a little bit. Them. Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying to create them, and it it it, it is so fun. Um, I couldn't turn the light off if I wanted to. Believe me, Jennifer, a lot of things have tried. But it's <laughs> oh, just yeah. like I said. I know. You know I've read your book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you, you going to do? I, you know, I'm, I'm part of God's light. And um, mm. so are all of us. Mm. So are all of us. I'm just here to shine it super bright so that everyone else can see the same in themselves. And, uh, you know, I will try to rest. I do have a I do have a stretch of rest coming up. Good, good. <laughs> um, yeah. This summer, after all this, all the all all said and done, so mm-hmm. look for me to be relaxing uh, after I finish maximizing all this incredible opportunity. And thank you so much for being uh, one of those opportunities. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Me too. Thank you very much. You can learn more about Keisha Lynn on her website, black.life. That's Black Leadership and Abundance Center, B-L-A-A-C dot life. And learn more about her memoir, Childish, at childishthebook.com. And you can follow Keisha Lynn on LinkedIn at Coach Keisha Lynn. This has been another episode of The Premise. Please follow The Premise on Twitter at Pod Premise and be sure to subscribe. Rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings make a huge difference. They increase the chance of other listeners finding us. And we really appreciate you being here. Again, The Premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival. So be sure to subscribe to the festival newsletter at the San Diego Writers Festival.com for monthly news and updates. Until next week, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.